The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, good morning again, everyone. Really happy to be here with everyone. Um, so, is anyone here new to Common Ground this morning? Welcome. Welcome. So Carrie is one of our program hosts, and so is Kathy. So you can check in with them if you have any questions. I'll stick around for a little bit afterwards, too, if you have any questions. So I'm going to give a talk, and then we'll have some time to discuss. And uh, the topic is one of the paramis. Um, So the paramis are a list of ten beautiful qualities that support us in this practice this simple but not easy practice of being with things as they are sounds really simple. I mean, it's not rocket science. You can explain it to really anyone. And it, would, and it makes sense logically that that would be a good thing to do in life, to be with things as they are, to, you know, and then from that place, then we have more wisdom about what's appropriate, what needs tweaking, but it's not easy to be with things as they are a lot of the time. So these paramis are really these strengths of the heart, strengths of the heart and mind, these beautiful qualities that um, support us in this practice. So I'll just read the list. It's uh, generosity, integrity or virtue, ethical conduct. It's the second. Renunciation, simplicity, is the third. Wisdom is the fourth. Energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, determination, resolution, loving kindness, or, um, yeah, there's other words, but loving kindness is fine. And equanimity, or balance, balance of the heart, the wise heart that understands things are as they are and can be connected with the with everything connected with the moment with its changes but stays somewhat balanced or in its deepest uh, expression the heart that can hold hold everything without being pushed around pushed off our center and then we can respond much more skillfully from that place so there's a lot in these parmes and one uh, suggestion I've heard from many teachers is, as you hear the list, or you can go home and look up the list, if one of them calls to you, um, maybe it's a uh, part of your personality that, that isn't um, that strong. You know, we, we look around and we see people in our lives that really inspire us, and often it's one of these qualities that we, we're seeing in them. and It just is a really beautiful thing to see. And we all have different strengths. So um, it's really great that we can have a list like this and feel like we're not doomed to just repeat our patterns, our our habits. But just by appreciating the beauty of one of these and having the intention to be interested in how it might express itself in our lives, how it might be supportive in our lives, then we start noticing it more because we've set that intention to notice it. And uh, it can be a real support 
for our lives, for our, our well-being generally, and then when we're feeling more um, settled in our lives, just this sense of beauty that we're connected with, uh, then it's much easier to sit down in silence, see what comes up, all of the voices, all of the unattended energies. But now we have a little more confidence from these beautiful qualities. So the one I'm going to talk about today is uh, resolve or determination or resolution or devotion. I think it's good right away to notice what our reaction is to this topic. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's good to be really sensitive um, and somewhat cautious. And I think maybe we have that, a lot of us, because we've used resolution or made a New Year's resolution or you know, we've used that idea of that in ways that haven't worked or have been, you know, have been kind of loaded with judgment, getting our, you know, whipping ourselves into shape, this sort of thing. So I like devotion as a word because I think what's the most important piece of this is what is the intention what are the other qualities, what are the other paramis that are fueling that resolve? So, you know, the re- we can make a resolve to be kind, to be soft, to be gentle, to appreciate that, to appreciate that quality. Like, for me, I um, tend to be somewhat, mm, well, fearful but also kind of the other side of that is sort of judgmental. Um, so it's been, I think, the last time I sort of intentionally took up one of the parmies for the last several years, I think, has been metta, loving kindness, just this gentleness. Like, is it ever not useful just to just to smooth over some of those harsh edges, which I still have, but it's, it was appreciating that the beauty of that and the usefulness of that in my relationships, like, and, and that interest, like, it's always an open question, is that actually useful? Is that actually beautiful in my own experience? Like, and, and then we're distinguishing, like, with metta between superficial niceness and just this, this patience, this empathy with other people, and just, like, um, that seed that, hope, that is there of, empathy of, you're like me, why not, you know, hang in in this conversation a little longer than I want to, or, you know, just actually uh, incline the mind in that direction. There's a really interesting talk by Andrea Fella, um, and she kind of talks about these beautiful qualities of the heart, and she kind of talks about faking it until you make it. Now, I don't think that's quite right, but it's something like that is like we may not have the confidence that, me- that we're a kind person, for example, like, you know, for me. Um, so we kind of have to try it on and see, you know, whether it actually resonates because it's it, like for me it's not my habit 
So it, it may be awkward, like it may, um, but, but yeah, she just gave a really interesting talk kind of on that practice of even if you don't, like on the power of even when you don't feel patient, you practice patience. And it's that actual rub of like your habit energies with that, rec- you know, that appreciation of this quality and the value in it that where we actually start to, to learn. We'll learn why we want to be impatient and we'll learn why we may actually appreciate for ourselves like the benefits of being patient. It gets us in a lot less trouble with other people, for, for one. I've learned so much in my role here as office manager with all, all the relationships, and I'm so grateful, and in particular in this realm of patience and metta, like, it really saves me a lot of trouble. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, so highly recommend. highly recommend just these uh, appreciating, yeah, um, if our heart actually has something that inspires us, that's part of what resolution is about, is what actually inspires us, inspires that devotion. And then the resolution part is we don't just, oh, that's a nice idea, but I can't, or that's a nice idea. We recognize that and we appreciate that seed of intention, of resolution, and we can even make a formal commitment, like, okay, I'll I'll be interested in that for a year, or... I recognize this is an area of my life where I tend to cause suffering. I'll pay a little more attention there, or I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll refrain. But again, in this you know, like area around resolutions and refraining, uh, someone I was reading, Ajahn Suchito, recommended really, like, you know, if you're going to take on a resolution, you know, repeating that a few times in your head, in your mind, and seeing how that lands and the voices that come up, oh, I can't do that, that's too much. And seeing, is that fear, or is it really too much? Like, is that just coming from idealism? So we, you know, we, we want to succeed. And as long as I'm talking about sort of resolutions, maybe in the realm of um, ethics, it can be really useful to have a buddy, someone that... Uh, yeah, I've I've been doing this recently, and I know other people. I uh, think it's hopefully a common practice because it, it's it's been really helpful for me. Uh, just to have someone that I will tell if I if I break my commitment, and so just that, and it's someone I really respect. And my friend is also doing some precept practice, some renunciation practice, and so we feel this mutual support. But yeah, really, this is a practice of discerning the intention behind these resolves. Because really, it should be coming from love. It should be coming from, you know, even when it's like a refraining, it's coming because of this love. We don't want to cause harm. And so we're willing to be a parent if that's what's necessary to ourselves. No? Yeah, you've seen that that's not helpful. But it's love. So we, but this only we can tell. It can look from the outside. Fear is strong, but only we can tell from the inside where it's coming from.
we need resolve. Without resolve, devotion, determination, commitment, we don't do things. And uh, there's work to be done in our hearts, in the world. So what actually is the source of that for us that is sustaining, that's really trustworthy, that's beautiful? So yeah, that's a question for all of us to look for ourselves. And again, I think it's really useful to not come from ideals or things that we have an ideal, we, we read about something, we hear a talk, and it's really inspiring. Um, but we may be clinging to that in an unrealistic way. I'm going to get enlightened this week. I'm just going to try really hard, sit under the Bodhi tree nonstop like the Buddha, because I really want it. Now there's where you see the intention, right? It's not coming from wisdom. It's coming from you know, maybe a self-centered desire to be something. So uh, wisdom is always at the center of all of Buddhism because it's the right intention that's always the source of whatever other practices we're doing. But I think, yeah, I think it's useful to reflect on resolve despite, you know, any baggage we might have around it or that, or the ways that, yeah, it can be misused. And I think it can be useful as a counterweight to other tendencies that we may have or that we may uh, interpret in Buddhism like letting everything be. But you need a lot of resolve to let everything be because it's not easy. You need a lot of resolve to be with things as they are, let things you know, move through you, express themselves. So just to appreciate, I think I like that word a lot because it doesn't have this doing quality. It's just, what, what do we appreciate? And do we appreciate our resolve? As imperfect as it is, but all of us in this room have been Practicing, even even if this is your first time meditating this morning, it took some resolve. Not just the idea I'm going to go to common ground, but I am going to go to common ground, and I'm here. Like that takes some some effort. And for those of us in this room who've been practicing for decades, we know it takes a lot of resolve. It's not easy, and uh, and yeah, that resolve gets purified. And we, we have the wisdom that we have. Um, but that resolve, when it's connected to some beautiful intuition, keeps us going, keeps us signing up for the next retreat or coming to Common Ground or doing our daily meditation practice. And what's interesting is we won't always have perfect clarity. We, we will have doubt is this even worth it? Is this working? Can I do this? So resolve can kind of act independently of our given wisdom at any given moment. We can set resolves when we have some clarity, as much clarity as we 
you know, have, and then we follow on them even when we don't have that clarity. And it's always our best guess. And so we're always listening to the moment. But that, yeah, that, you know, because we're, we're always vacillating between more wisdom, more delusion, that's, I think, why resolve can be so useful, is because we're doing that vacillation, it's like we're kind of, you know, we're not really, most of us, I think, feel always really firmly, like, headed in a good direction. I mean, I know for me, sometimes I feel like it's all over the place. So, uh, so we need all the support we can. And resolution resolves, I think, are part of that. Even having a center, in a way, is like this external representation. There's a place here. That means there's, oh, yeah, it's a reminder. This is something I value. Having friends that we respect that remind us. So we have these external supports that keep reminding us of our deeper intentions and values. And uh, if you read some of the original discourses of the Buddha from the Pali discourses, uh, you can see the Buddha talked a lot, if not directly, but just in the way he spoke, kind of had this warrior energy often. And uh, so that's an interesting question. Uh, Do we have that? Is that something we, we connect with? And is that useful for us? Does it give us energy? Does it give us clarity? You know, these kind of strong words like determination, spiritual urgency, uh, in the Buddhist tradition, the image of fire is used a lot. We're burning. Things are burning. So, what motivates us? Why are we practicing? Like in the deepest, what's our deepest intention? And we don't, we may not even be able to verbalize that. It may be so deep, it, we don't always want to share that because. It's tender, and uh, but I think that's that place. Where if we can, if that makes any sense, this place of tenderness, of deep compassion for our suffering, for the suffering of the world. Yeah, I think there's a power there that. The Buddha expresses, and sometimes, you know, we can hear it as scolding or like, you know, too much, you know, 
Like one example of what I'm speaking of in the discourses is um, around the teachings around mindfulness of mortality. And just, you know, we never know. And uh, what does that do to our hearts? You know, it's precious time. Every moment matters. Every moment the mind is setting something in motion through its intentions, whether it's just in our own mind or actions or words. And... um, And so the, in the story, the Buddha asked the practitioners, the monastics, how they were practicing this contemplation around mindfulness of death, mortality. And uh, so the answers come in gradations. The first person said, well, every day I remember this could be my last day. And it helps me, this is sort of, I'm elaborating a little bit with my interpretation, but it helps me stay grounded, Help me, helps me stay you know, less superficial, involved with things that don't really connect with my deepest values, deepest intentions, my deepest sense of what's possible for this life, for this heart and mind. And the Buddha said, hmm, next. <laughs> and so the next person said, well, every meal, I remember this could be my last meal. And it goes on. The next person says, um, yeah, with every spoonful, I think this could be my last spoonful. And uh, the last two, the Buddha says, are okay. I'm not remembering all the details, but the last one is with every breath. Remember, this could be my last breath. So if that reflection is useful for you, it like, oh, that's real. Then you can use that. If it's not useful, if it brings up fear, then you can relax. Because even if, yeah, you know, it's true, we're vulnerable. And uh, anxiety isn't helpful. And the point isn't, yeah, the point isn't, it is, you know, it can be to bring up fear, but we need to be able to relate to that skillfully. It's again coming from love, like there's all this uncertainty always. So what's important? What do what would bring us alive? What brings us alive knowing the uncertainty of death? What makes our heart feel good, feel like, yeah, I'm doing my best. Uh, Charlotte Joko Beck, really wonderful teacher. I think she died now. Does anyone know? Yeah, yeah. She says, uh, who knows how we should be? Like, who knows how we should be, like, in terms of judging ourselves? Who knows who we should be as, a, like, an objective an objective criterion, you should be this way, you should be that way, you're not good enough. So she says, who knows how we should be? We simply do our best over and over and over. And she also says, we have to practice with all of our might for the rest of our lives. 
So this is where it's really interesting, our relationship to that. Eh, that sounds like too much work. I'm just going to have fun. Or, you know, that sounds like too much work. I'm, and uh, I'm not, I can't. I don't have those resources. But I think another sort of, where my, you know, my heart can go there, definitely. And uh, as this kind of newer exploration in this area, my heart can sort of intuit uh, the joy of that. Because a lot of my suffering, I think, for me, comes from this lack of clarity. Yeah. So when there's any clarity, oh, this is good. I want to set this in motion. Then the heart is aligned. And it's joyful. Another quote from Charlotte Jokobeck. So she says, um, only a very few who are, who are enormously persistent and who take everything in life as an opportunity and not as an insult will finally understand. Eventually for a few people, sometimes intermittently, but finally most of the time, there is what Christians call the peace which passeth all understanding. She goes on, as a Dharma talk, this all sounds forbidding. Yet the people who endlessly practice are the ones who are enjoying life. This is the gateless gate to joy. People who understand and have the courage to do this are the ones who eventually know what joy is. I'm not talking about endless happiness. There's no such thing but joy. So I think this is, again, all the Buddhist teachings, all the useful wisdom teachings are always medicine. They're not absolute truths. They're not, you know, it's not about believing anything. But if it's useful medicine for you, like it is for me, I tend to be lazy. I tend to not want to do anything. I tend to want to avoid things and just get through life unscathed as a way to happiness and avoidance. What's difficult, it's uncomfortable, and I've tried that for 28 years, and, uh, and it leads to avoidance and disconnection. Um, so, so this other uh, image, Charlotte Jokobeck uses another image of Sisyphus in the Greek myth pushing the rock up the boulder, and then it falls down the hill. And it's in the traditional telling a really kind of hopeless story. But what, and she retells it as the joy of pushing the rock up the, bold, up, up the hill because it's what should be done. And there's just that joy of coming into alignment. And it rolls down, well, you just keep pushing. Oh, 
we're kind of getting close to time. I want to leave a little time for discussion. Yeah, why don't I just end here and we'll take some time. We have about 15 minutes to hear from people. So some suggestions for, or go for it. So yeah, questions, reflections from your own life around this resolution. Oh, it's good to use the mic just in case people can't hear. And also, either way, and also I want to remind everyone that we are recording, I believe, so just keep that in mind. My comment is, I like to... I like what you did, the paramis, but this isn't my point. They're more um, dynamic, in my opinion, than the Ten Commandments, but that's me. But my point is, I'm trying to tie in what you said with mortality and resolution. So mortality, you know, I had, well, I've had many lives, but ten days ago, I had a bad head accident and almost went to heaven. So I speak my mind, and so resolutions come to four and I live in Ireland and I've been living there for 35 years however I'm from St. Paul you know in my a calm nice city but last I've been coming back I'm retired now we're allowed to retire in Ireland we get pensions and that kind of thing and everybody here is working till the, I ran into a 78 year old woman who was delivering Domino pizza to feed her grand blah 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 but the resolution is how could I get rid of homeless in the Twin Cities? In my, I just, tears come to my eyes. I go by, and I, I don't know what to get angry at, so I give them a dollar. I smoke. I give them a cigarette. I give them bananas because most of them don't have teeth. They're young families. And you, most of this room is compassionate, but my observation is that they seem to just not see them anymore. All these compassionate people, I know they're all compassionate, but I observe they just go by, but I notice them because I, and each year in the last six years, more and more and more. Thanks for sharing. It's powerful, and I'm sure we all have places in our lives, whether personally or when seeing the suffering in the world, where there isn't clarity about how to respond, but there's clarity that the heart is moved, is touched, is hurt by the hurt we see. Yeah, I really like this quote from. Greta Thunberg, who's a young activist, I think she's Swedish, uh, working on climate change. She has this great like eight-minute TED Talk, I recommend. Uh, and uh, at the end, she's like, uh, I'm not going to tell you to hope. Only when there's action is there hope. And I like that. And I think it aligns with, with the Buddha's teachings. Um, it doesn't give us, you know, the solution, what is the way to solve the world's problems, but it's pointing to the aliveness that comes when we don't deny that heart's quiver and, uh, and all the attendant reactions, maybe fear, maybe overwhelm, maybe control, wanting to just fix it so I don't have to feel this... <laughs> uh, but it's like, uh, so it's, I like that there's, without, when there's action, there's hope. When our hearts are allowed, when we don't hold back for our hearts to respond, then we're in alignment with that 
cycle, we're participating, we're connected, as opposed to disconnected, which really deadens the heart. And then because we're disconnected, we need to numb ourselves, we need to buy more things, and, and these cycles of suffering. So I see um, sensitivity, intimacy as really powerful forces. And like I said, like this, the paramis are what allows us to be that close with the uh, uncertainty and the complexity of the suffering. Allows us to hang in there with that and be in it for the long haul, to be willing to see, yeah, the contradictions and the, and like, so then we're, you know, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm here, I'm part of this planet, I'm part of this community, I feel this. It's not really a viable spiritual option to deaden myself, and it's not useful. So what is required for me to be fully, fully present? And so that's where we start to, to see the need for these paramis that allow us to be in, in that mess in a way that's really useful and not just coming from our reactions, uh, our reactivity, you know, our inability to, to feel the truth of suffering. And so then it comes from a much more useful place. But this is a really, for me, I know, and I think for all of us, this is really where, uh, where our practice is really called for. And, and, and this can be a really deep source of resolution and resolve. This, I mean, for me, this is part of it for me, is all the suffering I see in my own heart, in my family, in the world. I don't want to contribute to that suffering. My heart is so clear about that, so moved about that, and wants to be part of healing and uh, kindness and connection. And, uh, and I see how in my own heart there are the seeds of hate and fear, disconnection. So I'm really motivated yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, let's hear what Zenzai has to say. Um, thank you, Gabe, uh, for your talk and uh, also for the opening chant. And I feel like it's like this perfect connection between what both of you all were saying, because when I got back to the Twin Cities a few weeks ago, um, or not a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, whenever I got back, I was actually, I'm like, I want to memorize the Buddhist chants on loving kindness because there's so much in that long chant. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to like, I'm going to try to listen to it. I'm going to try to like, you know, try to do it organically as opposed to forcing myself. But then I was like, well, you know what, Zinzile, you should go ahead and like write it down and use it as a way to like get some beautiful you know, some pens and some lettering and write it down. But I've been so overwhelmed with the kind of misery that I see on public transportation with the homelessness, with the addiction, with kind of just a lot of the, um, just the kind of um, um, wildness, I'll use the Mark's word, craziness that I see every day on public transportation because I don't use a car anymore. And being overwhelmed by that kind of got me distracted and like wrapped up in this different kind of world of like being over attached with the stuff that I don't like or over attached with suffering and my suffering, et cetera. But practicing a resolve to say, okay, let me write this down. Let me keep this to my heart would have enabled me to possibly deal with what was arising in terms of like 
the experiences and my the way I was reacting to what I was seeing or what I see every day. Um, you know, so it's so sometimes resolve and determination to say, why don't you get these words inside of your heart out of your mind so that you can practice when you need them can lead to more beneficial consequences. So today was just a good reminder. So when I get home and when I have some free time for my instance and I'll write down, you know, that whole chant, which is just so powerful and really answers the question. You don't want to get born again. You want to be as relaxed as possible and not get swept up. But that's just kind of how I look at it. So I thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. I find that, that chant really inspiring myself. Like you say, there's so much in it. And it's so relatable. It's not esoteric or obscure. It's like these beautiful qualities that we do find inspiring, you know, un, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. I like the one that says, uh, not doing anything that the wise would later reprove. That's the kind of high bar I'm talking about that the Buddha has. And so we either use that to beat ourselves up, or can can our heart recognize the beauty of that? Yeah, thanks for sharing. Time for uh, one or two more. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I also really like the Buddha's word on loving kindness, and um, and I use different phrases in my head for whenever I'm screwing up. So <laughs> it kind of reminds me. And um, um, I had a recent experience though that talked about resolve in particular. Oh, sorry. Is this better? Yeah. Sorry. Um, recently I started, uh, well, I, I quit an old job I had owned, um, about two and a half years ago and I wanted to do something that had more purpose. And, um, a little while ago I started a new career path. I'd done schooling and everything and I found I was overwhelmed just the amount of learning that I had to do because I had been fixed in my ways and had worked a certain way in a certain place because I was independent, and suddenly I'm working for somebody, and there's a lot to learn. And I remember just feeling flabbergasted at, I'm never going to get all this. And so my resolve was really weakening to the point of desperation, sleepless nights, and panic, and fear, and terror, and a lot of self-recrimination. And then, um, but I do have people in my life that I talk to, my sangha, including this sangha. And we have a thing where we bookend. That means that we tell somebody what we're resolved to do, and then we come back to them later and said we did it. And I was just basically going week to week, I'm going to make it another week on this job. And um, and it's really a good thing because I was really at a point where I was literally going, okay, God or whatever whatever person you want to use for your spiritual upbringing or your spiritual guide, um, just for today, can you get me through? And I'd have little examples that pop through. So I'm, I'm now working in photovoltaics, and I'm really glad, too, because I feel like I'm making a contribution now for the pro- positive. But... Without those friends, without my sangha, there's no way. And so that idea of humble and not conceited, I can't do it on my own. Right, right. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think I was speaking with someone before my talk, 
and the minute I mentioned resolution, they were sort of like uh, just talking about that point, the limits of willpower, of individual willpower. So it's really not based in that. It's based on seeing the limits of that and so then using whatever other supports are around, like community and uh, you know, like inspiring teachings that point in a direction. So we're sort of putting our heart there, like you're saying, to something greater, something sacred that we trust intuitively and saying, I don't know a lot, but I'll point in that direction for now. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Time for one more sharing. Yeah, let's go over here. Hi, thanks, Gabe, uh, Ruth. Um, so I wanted to thank you for bringing up the Sisyphus uh, teaching um, because it reminded me of an opposite teaching uh, that Tara Brock um, mentioned in one of her Dharma talks. And and it speaks more to me because I think in some ways we're sort of opposite. Like right. my <laughs> habit energy was trained to be like the load-bearing creature, you know, like Nietzsche's camel, that I will just keep pushing whatever rock is in front of me. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And, and Tara's talk was just to get out of the way. You know what I mean? Like that's another move. You can just stop, step out of the way, and let that rock roll back down the hill, you know, because it's, it's not always your rock, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the first thing to do before pushing any rock. Is to see whether it's a good rock. Yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. And so I think for, for my own discernment in my 30s, it was really getting to the point of like, where did all these egoic rocks come from? Right. And, and learning which ones to step out of the way of and which ones to put your shoulder to and keep pressing. So yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's a dance, but I think that's where like equanimity or really balance comes from. It's like how, where does this rock come from? What's my intention? What's my habit energy? And is it really my load to bear right now? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for bringing in that point. I actually like wrote you know some of this and then uh, wrote like a whole second piece that was all about like okay, hang on here and uh, and just as one final thought or language from Ajahn Suchito in his um, book which uh, I guess I didn't bring it in, but he's got a really great book called uh, Unseating the Inner Tyrant, you know, which is that voice that's it's never good enough. Just, and uh, it's a really great little book. Um, and he has a little section of it where he talks about how he's worked really hard at aimlessness. And uh, as one practice, I did this a couple days ago. He suggests just sitting on your couch or wherever for five minutes, just five minutes, and don't do anything. And see all the intentions that come up. And it was, I've done it before, but just a couple of days ago when I did it, it's like, yeah, you just see all that conditioning to do. So I think, yeah, that's a really great point to end with is that strong conditioning. And uh, yeah, like, w- w- does our heart feel inspired to um, releasing the suffering of that inner tyrant? Yeah. It's okay. We can just be here for a moment. So let's do that for a moment before we end.
Letting go of the words, appreciating being in community together. Nowhere to go, nothing to do in this moment. Thanks, everyone, for your kind attention and your great uh, uh, reflections. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.